Welcome to Respond to Resilience, along with my co-hosts, Dr. Stacey Raymond and Bonnie Romilly, LCSW, EMTB, and we're all rocking the blue today. Welcome to the show, and we also want to welcome our guest, Deputy Chief Bernie Meehan. On this episode, we'll be speaking with Bernie about critical incident stress management and debriefings and how a critical incident debrief or diffuse can kickstart the healing process. We invite you, like, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Respond to Resilience. We're on Facebook, Respond to Wellness, Inc. Also on bbsradio.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our website is respondertv.com. We'll be back to speak with Bernie in a minute. In this family, more of us die by our own hands than by the hazards of the job. In this family, up to a quarter of 911 dispatchers have symptoms of PTSD. In this family, our mental health and wellness are in crisis while responders are quietly suffering. In this family, many struggle with job-related stress, burnout, trauma, sleep disruption, substance abuse, and marriage problems. In this family, we can help the helpers with vital information and resources, resilient strategies, and success stories of overcoming the obstacles. In this family, no one is alone. Welcome to Respond to Resilience with co-hosts, retired Lieutenant David Dashinger, Dr. Stacy Raymond, and Bonnie Rumley, LCSW, EMTB. And we'd like to welcome Chief Bernie Meehan back to the podcast. Uh, just a quick review of his credentials. He's been involved in fire and EMS for over 45 years, active in both career and volunteer fields, and he's worked in the career side of the fire service for 35 years. Bernie's been an active paramedic for the past 38 years, and he's one of the medics who responded to the Sandy Hook shooting. Bernie, whose comfort zone is chaos, has participated in, uh, well, I guess the recount is now 402 critical incident debriefings, and as a founding member of the Connecticut CISD team. He's also a peer helper trained in both the fire and law enforcement disciplines. Welcome back, Bernie. Thanks for having me. So um, let's kick it off. We have a lot to talk about. And I think first thing we might do is demystify some of the terms that we hear all the time, CISM, CISD, debriefings. Um, Bonnie, Stacy, can you jump in, kind of give us an idea why people get confused and what, what are these terms and what have, what's kind of the hierarchy of how it all works? Um, so critical incident stress management or CISM is really the umbrella, right? It's the umbrella of all of the help that we can provide after one of these difficult scenarios. Um, and then we get into some sort of different branches underneath the umbrella. So Stacy can talk a little bit about the diffusing process, which is another acronym, another piece of the puzzle. So diffusings um, are different than debriefings, debriefings being CISD. Diffusings happen usually right after a critical incident, happens within the department. There's usually not a therapist or a chaplain present. Um, command staff can be involved in it, and it's really just information gathering. What just happened? How is everybody doing? What do you need? Um, sort of just like a check-in um, Discussion about feelings or thoughts or feelings is really not necessarily encouraged, but if that happens organically, it's permitted. Um, and then a CISD or a debriefing usually happens. Uh, you try to want you want to have it 
within like the first 10 days, 12 days after the critical incident, um, because initially people are uh, shocked or kind of deer in the headlights, just trying to wrap their mind around the critical incident and thoughts and feelings may not have started flowing yet. So you need at least a couple of days to kind of let, let it percolate for people. And then in that case, it's just the individuals that were involved in the critical incident, plus a mental health component, a therapist, um, the peer support team, if there is one, should be there, um, and possibly a chaplain. It depends on the nature of the critical incident. However, if the critical incident involves, let's say, line of duty death or suicide of someone within that department, that debriefing is done by a group outside of that department because the peer support team is too close to the incident. They, too, are struggling with their thoughts and feelings around the loss of, of a, uh, one of theirs, one of their own. So I hope that helps uh, delineate what, uh, you know, what are the pieces of the schism. There's one more piece, too, which is um, the coping methods, you know. So the therapist within the debriefing is going to talk about, well, what do, I, what do you do with these emotions and these thoughts, the lack of sleep? Maybe uh, the, the interest in drinking a little too much, you know, offering some healthy coping strategies and also resources. If somebody wants to talk to a therapist, if someone needs a chaplain, um, if someone um, wants to do something about their substance use, you know, uh, what are some resources that are available? EAP, peer support. So, uh, you know, usually a sheet of, of options for people to look into if, if they're looking for help. That's another piece that's provided, you know, as a part of the stress management. Great. Um, so, Bernie, let's jump on this part of it quick so people know. From your perspective, when there's a need for one of these uh, interventions, debriefings, diffusings that you have attended, what are the steps? How does it get started? How do you get involved? Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to add one more um, that we don't often see. And I, I don't know if Stacey or Brian have been involved with one of these, but there's also a demobilization uh, one. Um, and I've been involved in uh, maybe three or four in my career. We have a huge event, you know, natural disaster, line of duty, death of a large department, um, that sort of thing. And you have a mob. And the, the community, you know, it also occurs in a small town where something bad happens. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the populace is gathered on the steps of town hall. And you're the only one between chaos and control. And you get them all together and say, okay, here's what happened. What we can tell you. Uh, this is what, and Stacy's going to give you some ideas of where you might, you know, how you might be reacting. We have a bunch of handouts here because you obviously can't hit everybody, you know, at, at a huge event, but you try to do as many as possible. But, <clears throat> you know, that that notwithstanding, the same thing, you know, um, I liken a defusing to going back to the firehouse or police station, EMS garage, and wiping off the tools quick. That's what a debrief, a defusing is. You know, I've done many of them, and most of the time you don't even know you're doing a diffusing. Fire officers do this on a tailboard of an engine, you know, stand up on the engine. Hey, guys, come over here a second. This was pretty bad. Let's gather our, our senses here for a second and then go back in service or whatever. Um, 
most peers don't even realize they're diffusing people. Um, and then, and Stacy, now I know I've been with a few with Stacy where you're just watching it as it's happening organically. And you might not even have to be a trained peer helper to diffuse somebody, but if you are, you know, then that's even better. Um, but uh, the, the debriefing in, in the, in the early research, you know, way back in the, in the eighties was between 24 and 72 hours. I think we've learned more. I, I like Stacy's idea. It takes a couple of days to react. Um, I, in the old days, I can remember doing a, you know, a diffuse, a debriefing, if you will, at the, you know, 36, 48 hour mark, and then winding up having to do another one a couple of days later. Uh, we don't do that much anymore. You know, it's usually one and, you know, I think that's that's a good thing. We're, it's exciting, like we talked earlier offline. It's exciting to me because in the early days there was there was very few resources, and now to you know here I am online with with two of them or three of them besides me, and you know we didn't have this you know thirty years ago, and there's a whole list of people that want to help or the uh, trauma groups and everything. So that's exciting from a historical perspective. I'm unloading 32 years of emotion. This job isn't a joke, and it can hurt you. How does yoga or meditation help with that? Coming to terms with who you are. You know, nobody calls us because they're having a good day. It's really the suicide that becomes a huge issue. People are more trustworthy with the dog. Sleep deprivation helps them either be better or worse. Completely secretive when we started this. So it's pretty much taboo. Take care of the people next to you first responders really be open about what they're struggling with if we know that let's raise awareness brings you together to talk about it and it tells you you're not alone how do you kind of find the right uh resources let's say you're the you know chief of a department you've just had a critical incident you need to activate some debriefing uh for your department, like where do you go? Who do you contact? And what do a fair, you need? A, a fair question, and I think we're getting better at this too. COVID screwed this up royally in Connecticut because with with the PTSD bill, um, this was re- a requirement for every community, every fire, uh, EMS, police department to have a plan and have a peer support team in place. And COVID, I was on the committee for the state, and we had corrections at the table we had fire at the table we had law enforcement at the table and uh, a police academy fire academy and about two meetings in uh covid showed up so we we really got derailed um but uh, you know again uh, in a fire service you know if you if you fail to plan you plan to fail so if you're the fire chief you want to know or you're the union president um you want to know where there is help before there's a crisis. Uh, it's starting to happen. Uh, I know Stacy and Bonnie are involved in some of these things. I'm involved with a couple of them on the periphery at this point. But you want to know who to go to. And in the past, when we started this in, in the late 80s, um, there was just the Connecticut CISD team. And we got called for a lot of stuff. And a lot of stuff wasn't appropriate for a peer-driven CISD team. Um, now... You know, and I—I don't want to say there's competition, but there's choices. So if you want to call cable and say, hey, uh, you know, um, Connecticut Alliance benefiting law enforcement, who does a lot of the training, mm-hmm. 
and say, hey, I need some peer helpers. And they'll send them over to you. Or I need some mental health people. Send them over to you. Um, if you want to call the Fairfield County Trauma Group, call them. You want to call your your EAP affiliate, um, as long as you know they're really good, uh, call them. You want to call the Connecticut CISD team, give them a call. Uh, there, there are choices. Um, I w- you know, again, like I said in the last episode that I was on, you need to vet them out. You can't dial, you know, uh, 1-800-PEER or whatever the case may be and expect that three guys showed up that you've never met before and you don't know what their capabilities are. You know, maybe they graduated college last week or they went to peer helping uh, class yesterday and they have no business running a line of duty death debriefing. Um, So, you know, like I I would never send a, a public safety person to a mental health person I didn't meet or hear about or vet out. Same with a debriefing team. You know, there are now there's a whole bunch of different peer people uh, and mental health people. So um, I know I've been with Stacy a, a time or two now where the various members from different walks of life showed up and we put it together um, you know, and, and there's been other times where, in fact, there was one that Stacy and I walked into and it was driven by somebody else and they wanted to keep it real tight and n- no one else besides their group. And, and I, I walked out, I said, okay, good. You're, 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 you don't need me. I'm, I'm okay with it. I don't need to go to another one. Um, but I think you have to know the players and, you have to know the audience more than anything. Um, you know, one of the things, uh, Dave, we talked about is, is where the stranger places you've done debriefings. Um, and that's the point. You have to be flexible. You can't just say if you're – and I've seen it in the past. If you're one of these really stringent by-the-book clinicians, let's say, and there's a few peer people like this, it has to be in a room with a circle and, and, and you know, soundproofing and shut your pagers off and, you know, well – if you're the only fire department for 25 miles, they can't shut their pagers off. You know, if, you know, I've done debriefings on, on park, ben, park uh, picnic tables and state parks for lifeguards. Uh, we did a little league team that tried to save a Navy guy from a car in, in the far reaches of the state uh, years and years ago. And there was no one, no the school wasn't open. So we did it in a schoolyard. You know, I mean, it's just, if you put it together and it works, that's all that matters. If it's in a fire station, if it's, you know, you go to a tight knit community and they're real, as Stacy said, they're tight with their, with their clerical, with their religious people. Okay. We might run a debriefing in a church. I've run debriefings in shooting ranges because the cops didn't want anybody to hear hmm. people talking, you know? So um, you have to be flexible and you have to, the, I like, you know, I like going with these, this new, if you will, this new generation of mental health people, Stacy, Bonnie, Dawn, these sort of people that we have now, because they're real cool and they've been around a lot of public safety people. So if something pops up um, and the peer jumps in the middle of it, it's not a shock to their system. You know, I can remember years and years ago taking, um, uh, she was a nursing background and uh, mental health and all that. We went to a, a horrible uh, aftermath of a fire where a couple uh, babies got killed. And it was, I, it had to be two or three in the morning in the basement of a fire station. And these guys were, 
they were do- Dave, like you and I, just sitting at the table. Uh, you know, I handed the the one victim to to Lieutenant Dashinger, and he handed. It. And I had to like defuse this helper all the way home because she didn't realize that's what we really do, you know. And you well, have to be ready for that. Point. Like, yeah, you know, vetting, as you said many times, vetting the, the clinician and Bonnie and Stacey have love for you to weigh in on this, but a similar story I was going to share uh, from my department where uh, a couple of my colleagues responded to a, a fatal car crash, um, catastrophic um, death of a, a teenage female. And both of these guys who responded had daughters who were the, roughly the same age. Um, after the aftermath of the call, the leadership of the department in an effort to make sure that they were taking care of these guys' mental health made a call to, you know, an agency that um, contracts with mental health professionals that are not specialists or don't uh, don't work with emergency services. So an older gentleman showed up at the firehouse, the kitchen, the guys are sitting at the kitchen table, and he, the comment was he looked like a fish out of water and made, asked an inappropriate question like, what is it you guys do here? He turned the guys off and they were rolling their eyes going, this is surreal. We, we can't just talk to this guy. So it kind of negated any possible, you know, kickstarting of the healing process. Right. Bonnie, Stacy, what's kind of the most uh, efficient way or effective way to bring mental health professionals into one of these uh, cris- critical incident uh, debriefings and diffusings? Well, it's ideal for us when a department already has a mental health professional they lean on. And some people do that. Um, you know, Stacy and I are both liaisons for local departments and we have a relationship. So when something happens, they call us or they'll call the Fairfield County trauma response team because they know us and they know that we're vetted. Um, so that would be an ideal situation. And if not, it's really, really important for that person to understand the culture they're walking into. Right. Um, having somebody who's comfortable walking into a station or a department and not being intimidated, not being upset by the subject matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're going to do a debriefing, you're going to hear bad things. Mm -hmm. And that's just something that you have to expect as a therapist. You have to be able to handle it. Um, You know, we're trained to handle it and we see it day in and day out. Um, I think the other thing too, is that sometimes we're not even needed. Sometimes when a department does a diffusing and they know their own culture, Um, they may not even need a CISD. They may not even ever need to get to us, but we would rather have someone call us and need us or seek us and just assume that that's going to be helpful to them. And when you're activated, is that typically through Fairfield County trauma response team? I would say often, but then we also get individual calls. Sometimes people on our team, like Stacy was involved in one on Monday um, and got a call because she knew someone connected to that department. Mm-hmm. So it's often like what Bernie's saying, when you're vetted and somebody knows you and trusts you and they know you can handle the culture and the subject matter, they're going to call on you. Um, and that's a great thing. You know, we're, we're doing more and more debriefings. And, you know, we talked about the timeline of a debriefing, this ideal window that you would do it. But Stacy and I did a debriefing five to six months after a fatal fire. Um, and it is because in the beginning, nothing was done, not even a diffusing. Um, and so we got a lot of phone calls saying, you know, all of these people are struggling, at least half a dozen to a dozen people struggling Mm -hmm. that many months later. 
And so Stacy and I kind of looked at each other and we said, we're going, you know, we're out of the 10 day window. It doesn't matter. We went, uh, we did it outside. You know, we, we used nature to our advantage with this mm-hmm. group because mm-hmm. they really hadn't had a lot of mental health before. Um, so we put a lot of thought into how to make it comfortable and how to make it natural and how to take some of the sterility that happens with therapists out of it. You know, we didn't want to be in an office with bright lights. We we chose purposefully to be outside, mm-hmm. letting them hear the sounds of nature while we were together. Um, and it was very grounding and it really helped them. And the peer, their peer support team uh, was there. So yeah. we, we coordinated it with them ahead of time. That's right. And it went really well. It's a, it's a very delicate balance. Um, I, it, what they're saying is, I can't agree with it more. Uh, and when I do training for these, you know, the whole stress management CISD process, I, I pick on people who are the senior guy in the room. And I say, tell me about your first fatality. And their their eyes close a bit and they go yeah it was a it was a 53 Cadillac it hit a tree on Old North Road and and every detail you can imagine and it goes to to Dr. Mitchell's 2020 recall of significant events you know people think a debriefing team's going to come in here and and wipe the slate clean we're not they're not you're just going to re- figure out how to store this in your memory bank and how you're going to deal with it so I, I'm sure you could do a, a debriefing, an effective debriefing with the right players of an event that happened 40, 50 years ago. There's no doubt in my mind. So, you know, and debriefings, it you know, one of the other hallmarks to me is it's, it's therapeutic. It's not therapy. And if you need therapy, well, hey, guess what? I, I got Bonnie sitting right over here or, or Stacy or I know a guy or a person, you know, call them up. So I think that is very important and i also think especially for the diffusing thing and i i know stacy and i've shared a couple experiences like this for if you're even if you're an insider or an outsider you come into an agency you gotta know the lay of the land and if if you know you get the call your your team is ready to roll and you get a call such and such just happened across the state or whatever you can't be an invading force you, you have to just kind of sneak in, let people find their own level. You know, I, I actually do like the dogs. Uh, the dogs are a great icebreaker. So nobody sees these therapy, especially Gizmo, that's, you know, that big, <laughs> as threaten, threatening. And they start to play with the dogs, and it just breaks the ice. And food yeah. always breaks the ice. Stacy and I were at one where I ran out with, with a couple of the peers, and we got like 50 pizzas between yeah. three pizza places. And it was like, Okay, we're at a pizza party, but no one understands that you're you're really diffusing people. Right. You're just letting them decompress a little bit in a safe spot. And if you do it, I, I liked Bonnie's, you know, talking about uh, listen to the nature and stuff. You can't you can't force a fire company into a room they they're not comfortable in. You can't you cannot force a police department to do a defusing or debriefing anywhere besides a police station most of the time because that's their fortress. That's their sanctity. So, you know, you walk in there, we're going to have a defusing. Okay. We'll do it in the the shooting range. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, (laughs) there's, there's a convention center next door, but we'll use the shooting range. Um, You know, so very important to maintain situational awareness of the group you're in. And 
that's why the mental health people, like you were talking about your your previous experience, Dave, if they don't know the lay of the land and, and the personalities of the guys or the, the group, they're going to fail. You, you, you can't just walk in here on a clinical basis and say, okay, we're going to pr- start this process and fix you. It, okay, you, head back outside the door. We, we don't need your help. But, like, you know, these guys, the trauma team, they went way out of their way when they started this. And I was, I was there when they started the, these teams, you know, I keep kidding myself. I was patient zero for a few of them. They knew to talk to lunatics like me to, to get a, a lay of the land. And they've, you know, they've done ride alongs. They, we've, we've had people riding with us for, you know, I've had more ride alongs. They, you know, people think I've got a lot of mental health counselors, well, all the ones that visit me. But it's an important part of it. If 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 they don't see people in their native habitat, they're not going to understand it when there's a crisis. Fairfield County Trauma Response Team is a nonprofit alliance of mental health professionals dedicated to helping first responders heal from trauma, tragedy, and stress. We help as they manage community crises and the everyday demands of ensuring public health and safety. Established in 2011, FCTRT was formed in response to a call for emotional help from the Stanford Fire Department after a traumatic fatal fire. Less than a year later, the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting occurred, and members again served the first responder community. Most recently, COVID-19 created a need for our support. We provide free educational presentations, pro bono sessions to deal with community disasters, and an extensive referral service to trauma-informed psychotherapists. If you're a responder in Fairfield County and need help dealing with duty-related stress, please reach out to us so you can continue to do the job you love. Visit our website at fctrt.org or find us on Instagram at Fairfield County TRT. I wanted to say I'm an EMT. I've been to a debriefing where we had to educate the therapist on all of the acronyms so that we could get through what happened on the call. Mm -hmm. And that is not what someone should be doing in that moment. They shouldn't be providing us with an education. They should be attending to the issue at hand and attending to their emotions. Uh, Because we all know first responders do jump in, save it. They'll take charge. I don't want them to take charge in that moment. I don't even want to take charge. I want to let the process take charge. And I don't want anything distracting them or presenting itself as an issue now or a barrier. That's that's another great point, too, because I, I remember talking to the social worker group at Fairfield U uh, a couple of years ago. And one of the social workers started talking about how she would never let a, a police officer or anybody carry a weapon in her group sessions. And I'm like, well, then don't bother because, you know, and I said to her, I said, the police officer is coming to visit you or in this group. Why is he carrying that gun? And she, well, I guess to protect himself. I said, no, to protect you. Mm-hmm. And he, he's not going to, or he, she's not going to come in this room without their weapon. They're going to leave it in a car because you're uncomfortable. If you're uncomfortable, then you don't, shouldn't be there. So again, you know, it's imperative that these, the mental health workers learn about the people they're serving Conversely, the peers also need to understand the mental health people. If you're a peer helper and you don't have a counselor or you don't have friends that are counselors and go into their groups or whatever, then 
sorry, pal, you shouldn't be a peer helper either. Um, you know, there's give and take on both sides and we've come so far, you know, in in the 30, 40 years we've been doing it, I guess that you'd hate to lose any ground, but you know, like these guys, um, you know, on the screen here, they're, they're really doing a great job getting the word out. And you have to be able to, you know, I've been at these things many years ago where somebody would go off the reservation because they had a problem aside from the call, you know, something in their childhood or, or domestic violence or something. And there was n- almost nowhere to turn. And I'd be in a panic. Oh, my God. Now what? And now I just have to say, I know a guy or I know a, a, a woman that's a counselor. See me after this or she's sitting over there. Um take it outside afterwards. It's such a help to have these people at, at arm's length to say, Hey, you know, the floodgates are opening. We're, we're going to make you warm, safe and dry here tonight. But tomorrow morning you're calling Bonnie first thing and, and you're going to go visit. And the sirens are not at my house. They're at both guys <laughs> house before anybody on the show thinks it's me being a sparky. They're always here. I pay them to go right on cue. Right. You know that? we're doing it's a recording. Part of the respond to resilience ambiance that we, right. we yeah. love. Well, um, great points, Bernie. And uh, maybe we can even come back to the, you know, what happens if the uh, debriefing goes sideways. But um, as maybe someone that's never been to one of these um, or someone that's wants to know how you guys do it, Stacy. Can you talk a little bit about the process and the ther- therapeutic part of it? Like, what does that look like? What What do you see happen with responders as they start to go through the process of uh, debriefing, decompressing from an incident? I could answer that. Um, you know, there's a set time. We usually we try not to make it time limited, but we, we allow two hours. You know, it's nice if there's a little food there, definitely some water, box of Kleenex, because you don't know, you know what emotions are we going to get into. Um, you walk in, I think that the older um, members are probably a little uncomfortable because of the bad reputation that the briefings have gotten, right? So there's, you, know, you can kind of sense their, I sense their discomfort. The younger people are very, like, uh, you know, wide open to it, like, oh, this is interesting. I wonder what this is going to be. So there's that moment of awkwardness, but then there's usually introductions. Once um, once the debriefing is, has started, you make sure that uh, everybody who is in the room participated in some way, right? Otherwise, they really shouldn't be there. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the people running the debriefing, those individuals are pointed out. Um, and then we start by going around the room and just saying, you know, and please introduce yourself and what was your role at, at the critical incident. So once we've done that, we usually have somebody kind of recap, um, give an outline of what happened. What was the critical incident? If there, if it was gruesome, we ask that the, you know, those details be screened out because just in case somebody didn't see it, but they were involved in some way, let's say the, the dispatcher, um, they, we don't want to vicariously traumatize them, right? So just the relevant details need to be shared. And uh, we talk about ground rules um, prior to starting. I should have started with that. But um, mm-hmm. confidentiality, please keep you know, to yourself what is said in this room. Um, not everybody, nobody's expected to talk. 
Uh, we do ask that you stay for the entirety of the debriefing. We don't know how long it's going to take, but there's just a few things that we want to get through. Um, Is there like a typical time length? I mean, you know, what's like the range? I, I, I block out two hours. I ask the, the peer support team to block out two hours as well. Hmm. Um, is there anything else that you want to add to the initial? Well, it depends on the size. Yeah, I do. Right. If you've got a crew of three people, it might only take you an hour. If you've got a dozen 90. people, right, yeah. then you're going to be using more time. Um, the other thing, too, is that we go in pairs. So for a diffusing, you know, I could do a diffusing at my department, right, on my own with some people. Um, but when we do a debriefing, we go in pairs because if somebody leaves that room, one of us needs to go and check on them and see what's going on. Um, we don't want anyone being triggered or maybe something else is going on in their life and this has tipped them over the edge. Um, so we always make a pact, basically, that one of us is going to go and check on that person and see where they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another important component. We're always reading the room. We're always gauging the emotions and kind of the mood once we're in there. Um, and there's so much for us to observe, right? It's like when first responders get on a scene, you, you're observing and you're taking it all in. Well, we're doing the same thing. And we're going to be very sensitive to pushing people or to who might be having especially hard time. And a lot of times we'll close the debriefing and some people might want to stay after and talk to us. You know, that happens a lot. They'll come up kind of one-on-one and, you know, thank you so much. This was great. And, you know, I'm really thinking about these other calls. Maybe it's time to get help. So I look at the debriefing, too, as a door that opens for people. And if you do it well and they feel they can trust you, Mm -hmm. then they're going to be more likely to say, you know what, maybe I need to open a door and do some other work in my life. Not everybody, but some people. That's got to be huge just to, you know, to – have that personal connection with somebody, um, which is, you know, it's actually how I found you guys when uh, Stacy and the, the team from Fairfield County trauma response team came to my department at up to that point, there was no connection with mental health. And we certainly had no faces to put with uh, who was a tra- trauma informed responder therapist. So having you guys out there in the field doing what you do is huge. And I'm sure it's, uh, it's, it's really bridging a lot of, uh, a lot of gaps and helping people connect with uh, good mental health. The, the one, the other thing too, I was going to add to, that was an excellent definition of what, what goes on. The, the peer has to be an expert facilitator. And, and I like to take three most of the time because I'm too old to run chasing somebody. So, we can stay in the room and the runner can chase the, 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 the escape, you know, the, the runner, but, um, you know, you have to be a good group facilitator and you also have to know that sometimes that, that room's going to heat up, you know, and, and I like to have at least one or two peers and a strong mental health person because the mental health person's got to do a lot of the observations and, know that okay maybe this 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 one needs to be left alone for a second and that one needs to be you know talked to a little bit more or or allowed to to speak the other thing too i've always said in almost all these things i don't ever have the answer when i go to these debriefings the answers are in the room Mm -hmm. so we're just facilitating finding the answer among this group that's that's gathered so you know and and um you have to be prepared for 
anything. I, 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 I'm not going to get into deta- details. One of the first ones I went with Stacy, it went completely sideways, nothing to do with the call. Uh, one of the person's relatives came in and literally attacked the group um, about politics within the group. Right. And it, it, I was like, okay, I got to, I got to put my uh, CIT hat on for a second here. Pretty much, and, you know, it was a CIT kind of situation. I yeah. literally had to, had to deescalate this person, and by the time I was done, you know, they were sitting with us, and okay, you good? Yeah, okay, you can go, so we can do our thing. So. Um, and, and we walked out and stayed like, what just happened? <laughs> but that's you know? another reason why yeah. you only have in the room those individuals that were involved. This was the relative of somebody who. And she burst involved. into the room, hmm. it, you know, and it was, it was, it was I mean, so I've been, there's a couple others like that in the past, but this was one that stood out, you know, in a, a very traumatic event that somebody's relative was really twisted up and, and found mm-hmm. us and, and it went. Yeah. Off this way. Our mission at Responder Wellness Inc. is to subsidize or provide free of charge safety equipment and wellness services to first responders, including police officers, firefighters, EMS personnel, and 911 operators throughout Connecticut. Resources include scholarships to train new EMTs, a responder and veteran-only AA group in Danbury, Connecticut, as well as police vests, a fire and EMS boot program, yoga classes, gym memberships, and t-shirts. The founder of Responder Wellness, Inc., co-leads a peer support group sponsored by Fairfield County Trauma Response Team. Responder Wellness, Inc. is a nonprofit 501c3. Find us on the web at responderwellness.org, on Facebook at Responder Wellness, Inc., or email us, responderwellness at gmail.com. Responder Wellness, Inc., putting responders first. You know, the other thing, too, is um, sometimes we'll walk into a department and they don't understand what a debriefing is either. So Stacy and I did one where uh, one of the leaders showed up with a laptop. They were ready for an after action Mm -hmm. review. They were ready to give us all the facts. They were ready to show us footage of the event. Mm -hmm. They thought that we were like kind of peer critiquers who were coming in to say, hey, you did this wrong on the fire scene. So we had to really, in the beginning, explain why we were there. Right. We said it's not an investigation. Right. Yep. And this is also yeah. where it's, it, you know, we, I, I struggle with this at times now too, because I'm a command level fire guy and I started as a entry level fire guy and, you know, they'll t- tell you all oh, the peers are peer driven, but does pay off many times to have a command level guy with you who's also peer trained, such as myself, to to take the chief aside and say, hey, chief, you know what you need to do? Take a powder. Let the guys do this. Uh, They're good. I'll go in there with them. But you need to go down the hall. Or this isn't a critique. I I would Stacy a couple of times. This is not an operational critique. Hmm. We're not going over that. We're not. I don't care about gallons per minute. I don't care about how fast things happened we're talking about just how we're doing here so it you know you the mix of the peer helpers so sometimes it 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 pays to have maybe an entry-level guy a mid-management guy a command level guy the command level guy might just be the the facilitator to the event hey everybody you know i'm generally pretty loud and obnoxious 
get in the room. Oh, okay, Chief. That's that's where we're going. I'm going to wait outside while Stacy, Bonnie, and these the two lieutenants or captains on the peer team are going to talk to you. And I'll be down the hall. I'm going to order some pizzas for afterwards or whatever. But there's there is a place for everybody at whatever rank, you know. And, right. and we're finding that out um, as we go along that you can't just say it's this guy or that guy. And the other thing that I think was on your your list that's very important that gets missed so many times is these things work so much better if everybody's in the same room. You know, police like to be in most places. Police like to be with the police. The fire guys like to be the fire guys. EMS likes to be with EMS if they can if they can get off the call. Everyone forgets the dispatchers. Um, but if you know, in in certain places, if you say, okay, you know what, I, I got the cops coming, I got the fire guys coming, I called EMS. Um, we're we're all meeting here, and and even if if you get a strong peer guy or or a strong mental health peer person, and that you see the people's eyes, why are these hose heads here? Because I invited them, okay? Oh, oh, okay. And they might have some answers that you don't have. Right, yeah. They, right. they participated in a way and have information, yeah. saw something, right. heard something that actually could be very helpful. To I, I, yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've been at a at a debriefing, defusing of, let's call them BLS providers or law enforcement providers, and the paramedic or the life star nurse or physician ER nurse says, Oh well, you know this is why the person succumbed to their injuries. Oh, I missed that. You know, so it, it it's very interesting to to see the fact phase come through the group, and they go, "Oh, well now now it makes sense." Yeah, and. And that takes a lot of the anxiety away. I mean, I'm sure that our two subject matter experts in mental health. Well, it could take guilt away, right? Because right. if uh, th- those that were first on scene, if they're feeling guilt that this uh, person uh, passed, maybe it was something they did or didn't do, right. but then and someone else can give information about how the injuries were fatal and the, and the mm-hmm. patient, unfortunately, exactly. was going to expire. Um I, I want to go back to the, just anybody listening to this that has never been in a debriefing. So there's the, you know, you set the ground rules. This is, it's not, um, it's not an investigation. This is not therapy, uh, what it is and what it isn't. And then um, after everybody goes around and tells their uh, role in the, in the scene, the next phase is uh, what were your first thoughts when, mm-hmm. when you learned about the incident, what were your first thoughts? We don't get into feelings uh, feelings are going to come naturally anyway. Um, very rarely have I had to say, okay, what, what were you feeling on, on scene? Because what you what did you think oftentimes leads into, uh, the, the feeling phase, right? So there's the first thoughts. What did you find was the most difficult part for you to deal with? Um, that oftentimes just leads into, uh, feelings, um, how have you been since the incident? So if it was four days ago, what have these last days, these last four days been like for you? Inevitably, people are going to say, I've had trouble sleeping. Um, I've wanted to be alone. Um, or I've wanted to stay busy because I don't want to be with my thoughts and my feelings. You know, those are the typical responses. And But then when everyone in the room hears that, they're like, oh, I'm not alone with that. I had the same reaction. I'm not sleeping either. They may not have wanted to share that because they think there's something wrong with them. 
So part of a debriefing is, is allowing a, a concept called universality. So that's a therapeutic concept, even though this isn't therapy. It does happen in groups organically where one individual now doesn't feel like a mental case because he's not sleeping and he can't stop seeing the incident. I'm a little bit biased too. I actually, in our agency, we tend to lean towards the combined CISDs with different departments. And I find that so valuable because if our police are the first responders and they got there before me, they had a whole story before I walked in the door. And you know what? Sometimes hearing that story and hearing those other pieces fills in the blanks for me. And I may have had a huge question ruminating for four days after that call. Mm -hmm. And I walk into that room and someone answers it so easily without me even asking. And then I can walk out of there saying, okay, now I know the whole story. You know, and sometimes just for people to know the whole story is enough. You know, every single first responder who goes on a difficult call is not going to get PTSD. You know, we're all going to have different symptoms and kind of normal reactions that we live through. Um, but sometimes it's just getting the facts and being in that room, knowing other people feel the way you do. And that's enough. It's, it's clear that having trained professionals who are familiar with responder culture and responder uh, operations is key. So Bernie, I was going to ask you, like, what would be the dangers of debriefing our own? The, the, you know, that I'm, I'm very, <clears throat> very experienced at this. And I have to say, and I always steadfastly said, you should never debrief your own. And, but it becomes a problem at times because if, you know, you're somewhere remote or, or you're the subject matter expert in your department and all of a sudden something happens and one of these organic diffusing debriefings occurs, you're kind of stuck there. But what I like to do is try to get somebody else from another team, another group in there to just kind of hand it off to them or, or say, I'll be right back. I'm going to hit the bathroom and you don't come back, you know, because you leave it with them. <laughs> but um, and, and, you know, I've been to a, a number of these where I've told the, um, you know, the agency at you know, at, at hand to call a different department. If, if, if you're Connecticut has a, especially the law enforcement has a bunch of peer helper teams, call a Waterbury, a Danbury, a Stanford, a Norwalk, a, a New Haven, whoever, Hartford, you know, cable, whatever uh, the, the state firefighters union um, has a network of peer helpers across the various career fire departments in Connecticut. Um, the problem is, to answer your question directly, is if I come and do a one-on-one -on -one with Lieutenant Dashinger and we're on the same shift or we're, we relieve each other, I'm never going to get rid of this issue with you. It's going to be the basis of our connection. So, hey, Dave, how's it going? Oh, great, Bern. But, you know, another night of not sleeping because of the call and, oh, okay. And it, it just, it's the, it's the, the fabric, our connection, and that's the danger of it. Hmm. I look at CISD or CISM interventions, if you will, as I go to the Richfield Fire Department, for instance, and I listen to your stuff. I put some of it in a bag and I head back to the hills where I live. And on the way home, I dump it out the window. And I, I, not that I'm done with you guys, but uh, it's not the basis of our connection. You know, I'm not going to see you every day, every shift and relive what that I saw you getting upset and dusted up in this diffusing or debriefing 
it's a, it's an intimate moment in these things at times, and it really shouldn't have to be relived all the time. Now, I have met and made thousands of friends because of the CISD activities I've done, but it's not the only thing that I talk to somebody about, and I wouldn't. You should never do your own people unless there's really very few other options because you're just never going to move on to something else. And you're also beating up, you know, yourself and your own people. If, if you have to relive this every time you see them or, you know, you work in a busy place and there's subsequent incidents that you're attempting to debrief or defuse your own people on. It, it's going to beat up both of you. So it's, it's good to have somebody else come in and have a fresh perspective and say, Hey, you know, I, I'm from four towns away and you guys need some more help than just me or Bernie or Dave. So let's call Stacy or Bonnie or, or Tabitha or whoever in here and get a fresh set of eyes on this. Because the other thing too, is if, you know, you and I are pretty close and I might miss some nuances that somebody that didn't know you so well would, would pick up, mm-hmm. you know? Right. So that, that is a, a double-edged sword. You know, we, the four of us know each other fairly well by now. Um, and we might know if the other one's stressed out, but we also might miss something because it's too familiar. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not a great idea. And that's a, that was a Jeff Mitchell hallmark from way back. Don't debrief, defuse your own people. Great. Uh, we have a couple of minutes left. Any final thoughts? Anything we didn't discuss? Uh, Bonnie, Stacy. Well, just to piggyback a little bit of what Bernie said, um, I happen to be in a leadership role at my agency as well as being a therapist, right? So I always walk that line uh, with my people. And sometimes I find it's helpful because I might remember a call they did that was similar six months ago. Hmm. And they might make a connection with me about that that no one else would know. An outsider wouldn't know. Or if they go on a call, um, you know, for a SIDS case and they've had a miscarriage in their life, I might know that because we're friends. And I might be able to say, hey, I I know this happened to you in your life. How are you doing with that call? Um, So I know that in general practice, we want to stay away. But I think that sometimes with the right situation and kind of the right boundaries, you can handle it to a degree. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and just to add on to what Bonnie said, because I find myself in the same boat, we also have the authority as yeah. leaders, command personnel, whatever, to say, I'm taking this company out of service, or I'm going to give them a breather, or I'm going to call for coverage, yeah. you know, and they also know that, Bonnie or I have that authority, or Dave, you have that authority. If they want to go home, they can go home, but I, it's the worst idea in the world. So let's just take an hour or two off, dust it off, and go back online. So I think that is also a big uh, part of that equation. Great. Stacy. any final thoughts? Yeah, I have to say, you know, every debriefing that I've been uh, either invited as the mental health person or that I've run myself, the comments afterward are like, I'm glad I came. I'm glad I, you know, that, that you guys did this. I mean, people are more appreciative and they find it helpful. I don't think I've heard anybody say that was a waste of two, mm-hmm. you know, two hours. Um, so it, it really does start the healing process. 
right? Even if you just come away with like a clear and like a more full picture of what the incident really involved, but it's more so that other people have had similar thoughts and feelings to me. And I'm not, I guess I'm normal in my response to this unusual event. And, and that's really, you know, a positive effect of debriefing. Well, thank you all for sharing your expertise and wisdom as you are uh, gurus in this area, to say the least. And uh, we'll have put up some of the uh, contact information for some of the groups around Connecticut for um, getting resources for critical incident stress debriefings. And uh, just want to thank you, Chief Meehan, for being with us once again. And uh, it's always a pleasure. And Bonnie, Stacy, on behalf of all of us, uh, we want to remind you to Stay safe. Be kind to yourself. Take care.